0: going to uh, continue again in our study on peace, so if you would please turn open to Matthew chapter 6. That is where we will spend our time uh, in the Word this morning. And as I said before, this, this passage and these are the Savior's words, and they are a great source of help. It's a familiar passage, even maybe if you don't If if you've not read the Bible a whole bunch, you're familiar enough with this passage uh, as as it's Jesus caring for his disciples, which is us. So everything that he says in present tense, we can put ourselves in that posture because he's saying it to us today. This is our precious Savior, risen from the grave, who is saying these things to us. Uh, The title for this morning is Peace for the Little Things. God's word says, Jesus' words say, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus, this is your words. We ask by your Spirit's power, we would understand them, and they would be... Uh, life and comfort to us. In your name we pray, amen. There are many passages of Scripture that may cause us to scratch our heads with confusion. And we should be students enough of the Word that we want to investigate those passages. Uh, But this morning, that's not this passage, because some of the passages in Scripture are unmistakably clear, and this is one of those. We know exactly what Jesus means. His words are relatable and they are accessible. We understand his words so well because he's speaking to a common experience for all of us. Worry. The anxiety Jesus speaks to in this passage is an obsession over the necessities of life or the necessities within our lives. All of us know this anxiety. We may try to explain it away, but at the root, all of us, are anxious over the daily needs of life or what we think we need to give us life the way we want it, the way we enjoy it. We all worry about our lives. We worry about others' lives. We worry about those that we love. Some may obsess more than others, but we all have things that will provoke our minds into a panic. Daily anxieties, they mess with our lives because they mess with our comfort level. It messes with what we, we, uh, the predictability of our lives and, and the anticipation of our lives and what we find is going to bring us joy in life. We all have things that we cherish that will give us comfort, that we look to for comfort and hope and confidence for tomorrow. We look for comforts in various forms to reassure us that everything's going to be okay, But there could be a problem with how we're thinking about our comforts. And this is what Jesus is letting us know, that we could be trusting more in our comforts rather than in the God of all comfort. And we need to remember, God, in his love for us, will bring about moments that create our worries, that stir up our worries in order to reveal where our trust is placed. God will shake things in our lives. He will shake them, and Hebrews twelve twenty seven, tells us that he'll shake things, that things that are on there that should not be on there, they'll fall off so that what remains is firmed up in God. God is in complete control of getting our hearts to trust him more and more. Here is our, our, our main thought for this morning, is God will expose the emptiness of our worry so we will trust in his power over us removing barriers to experience his peace. Look, he wants to reveal our worry to us this morning. That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Then he wants to show us where our trust is. Is our trust in our own power to bring about the security that we long for or is our trust in God's power to bring about that security? Because he wants to remove barriers so we experience his peace. Remember that he promised his disciples, my peace I leave you. Not as the world leaves, I'm giving it to you. As we approach this topic and passage, we need to identify uh, at the outset, there is a barrier right now that we're, we're probably getting ready to experience and want to bring it to the forefront of our thoughts so we can fully embrace what Jesus is telling us. When we think of our anxiety, we have a weird comfort level with it being part of our lives. We're just used to anxiety. We're used to worry. We are comfortable because we associate anxiety with our feelings of worry. So we feel worried so often, and our feelings and, the, and, and our comfort level get this weird intertwining that might not be healthy for us, usually is not. When our feelings are not addressed, we're tempted to disqualify any and all encouragement to look off of our circumstances and onto Christ. So we will, we will disqualify... I don't think you understand what I'm going through because what you're telling me doesn't help the feeling of my worry. Jesus, in this passage, doesn't directly address our feelings. Hear that. The Savior is not going after our feelings primarily. It's subsequent. He's going after what we're trusting in. He's going after what we're believing he gave us, He gives the disciples and us, He gives a bigger vision and purpose to be about. See, worry, it messes with our purpose in life. When we worry, it's because we're questioning our purpose, we're questioning God's relationship with us to fulfill the purpose of our lives. We're just worried about that and we get amped up about it, even to shutting down. You might be a person that deals with worry and stress by going into more work or getting away from all the work and and being debilitated in the concern and anxiety and worry. The root of our worry, friends, the root of our worry is not our circumstances. The root of our worry is what we're believing in about our calling to be disciples. Jesus' answer to anxiety is to remind us of God's purpose over us as his people. He's calling us to a greater vision, a greater purpose that we need to walk in and be obedient with. Jesus locates the problem with anxiety to the sight that we have. And in his solution to the anxiety, he's talking about looking and considering, thinking. So it's sight, one that we physical sight, but also a a spiritual sight of what we're seeing spiritually. Our focus oftentimes goes off the glory of God onto lesser glories. And worry causes us to settle for those lesser glories, those man-made glories that we we think we're going to lose, so we focus more on, which is not proper glory. Now, what we have, I have four uh, things to go through, really four observations from this passage as we look at this. The first thing that Jesus is addressing is our losing of focus as disciples. And when we lose focus... It's usually become, it's because the security that we long for we feel is threatened, and so we're going to go cling to something that we think is going to provide us security, but it's actually false securities that we end up clinging to. And Jesus first gives a distinction between big things, life, body, and small things, little things, food, drink, clothing. And the distinctions necessary to expose in the lives of his original hearers as well as us today where we think our security for life comes from. Where where the little things are going to be in the big things. Little things are a part of life and part of sustaining our lives. But when our focus concentrates on the little things, we will begin to major on the minor details and miss God's overall vision. Jesus' original audience was made up of people. They were poor people. And they they faced the threat of, where's our food going to come from? Where's our uh, uh, next uh, water going to come from? Where's our clothing going to come from? They were poor and in their poverty. They faced a panic about where they would get those things. Now, in our context today, we might not be fretting about, you know, when we say, what am I going to eat? Which usually, out of a desire, not a necessity. What do I feel like eating today? What do I feel like eating right now? But our context is that we might not be fretting about food and clothes in the same way, but we fret about essential things that we think will give us life. We look for security in these things. It's a a little longer of a list, but hang with me. We look for security in money and wealth. We look for money to give us a particular buffer to life to the, the, the car-breaking-down panic and fear that we feel. We want to buffer. With, so we think money's going to create a little buffer in our lives and really just give us what we long for and give us a security. But Proverbs, Proverbs is abundantly clear with, when it comes to money. When we don't have money, we dream about having money, uh, we're worried about getting it and, then, and daydreaming about getting it, but when we have money, we're afraid of losing it. So it keeps us up at night. But there's a prestige that comes. There's a, a popularity that we look to in life uh, uh, as a necessity in our lives. This, we might use clothing in this, clothing. I need to have the right clothes in order to look in a certain, certain way for these people so I'll be popular, so I'll have some prestige. We look for and cling to emotional stability. We don't like when people uh, uh, make us flustered or make us depressed, or we don't like that situation, so we will crave and work at an emotional stability in our lives. We will cling to power. And this looks like control. You just want to control everything. And usually when we lust for power and control, we take accountability and put it way far away from us. Because we don't want to be accountable to when our power is a a self-power and not a, a bowing to god's power we will cling to respect we will cling to appearance if i can just be a certain weight if i can just look a certain way we'll we'll cling to health if i just eat the right way if i avoid the right things we cling to comfort we just want things to be easy and comfortable and without effort we will cling to acceptance How can I be accepted by you right now? Because the acceptance that I want from you, it's going to provide life for me. We cling to false securities because that acceptance will go away. Significance. I want to feel like I'm part of something. I want to feel like I'm contributing to something. And so we have this this weird significance or we want to be seen a particular way because of our contribution to something. We'll cling to that. We'll cling to safety cling to safety in isolating ourselves, cling to safety in in, in, uh, relating with our kids. We'll cling to safety in an unhealthy manner. We'll cling to success and achievement. Just got to go after the next thing, after the next thing, after the next thing. I have to achieve the next thing in order to make myself feel better, in order to feel like I have life now. And we treat these basic necessities that we need We treat them as if we need them to survive. But you know what? All of that list, we don't need those things to survive, but we treat them like we do. If I don't have this, I will die. If I don't have this, my life will be nothing. When they're threatened and our security gets unsettled, it's a little shaky, that's when we worry. But Jesus is also pointing out that there's an emptiness to worry. When we give in to worry, we feel as though we're taking control to a promise to, to get our desired outcome. We feel like we're taking control, but we're only giving in to the illusion of control. David Paulison, uh said this, worries act as if they might be able to control the uncontrollable. That's something central to the problem of worry. It's the, il- the illusion that we can control things. If only I could get my retirement right. I could control the future. If only my parents would give me $3 more allowance, I, would get, I wouldn't get caught short on Saturday when my friends want to catch a movie, but I spent my money on candy bars earlier in the week. If only I could get my diet and medicine right, I wouldn't get cancer. If only I could figure out the right child-rearing technique, I could guarantee how my kids turn out. Control. Control. Worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside anxiety. You'll see it in yourself and in the people God gives you to help. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. We want to control something. Since we can't control it, we worry about it. And we think as if that's going to give us peace in that moment but worry is empty. Jesus said that worry, actually, he, he attributes it to, if you think you can worry, it's like you're trying to add a span to your life, a cubit. Who can add a cubit to your, your span of life? Now, that might mean height, or it might mean the distance at the end of a life. Jesus is saying, you can't, you worrying is like you trying to force yourself to grow taller. Or you worrying is like trying to force yourself to get more life, a distance, age, than God has set for us. Now, when we worry, we imagine ways that life can be better by adding more time. If, if we just get to that point in the future, if I can just add a little, th- that, it's going to make life a little better for me. Or... We don't add time, we add space. If I can get some separation between what my circumstance is making me feel like, I'll just get separation. What are we trying? We're trying to add a cubit. We're looking for the cubit. If I just get that cubit of space, I'll be better. Or if I can just get away, get some space from these people, a cubit away from my circumstance, I'll feel better. But you know what? No, anxiety doesn't give us space. <laughs> it, doesn't, it never gives us space that we think we need to be comfortable. No matter how much we worry, we don't fix anything. We actually just make things worse. Now, let's take worry and put it into focus. If we're losing focus of God and we're worrying, let's put focus on worry. Jesus three times very clearly says, do not be anxious. You know, Jesus, he doesn't treat our worry like we treat it. We treat it as a weakness. Jesus treats it as a sin because his command is, do not be anxious. Now, there are some categories that we talked about uh, in another study for this. There's There's some categories where there's a clinical anxiety that needs help. But that help is to produce what Jesus is talking about right here, just because we have different levels of experience with anxiety doesn't mean we have different approaches necessarily to fixing it. What we do is say, Jesus, what do you say? So we might experience anxiety in different ways, but listen, here, here's what we all need to experience, fighting sin. We might be struggling, but let's fight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's fight by not our own strength, but by the power of of the Holy uh, Holy Spirit as we battle and and seek victory over sin. Thankfully, and very clearly, Jesus gives us the way to fight our anxiety. And he says, you need to focus, you need to be reminded on the power of God to sustain your life. Jesus gave two distinct ways to combat anxiety. Look and consider. Jesus wants them to turn their eyes off of themselves and onto his glorious power. Worry tempts us to think that God's not in control of our future or that his good will not come about in our lives. And worry causes us to focus on and trust in ourselves or people around us that will inevitably let us down. Jesus tells them to look up and look out for the antidote to anxiety. This look, our temptation, our temptation when we read this because we want, we want the feelings of our anxiety to be relieved rather than the focus that we are of our anxiety. So our temptation is to think that Jesus telling us to look at the birds sounds shallow, like the encouragements we get from other people in our lives about just don't sweat the small stuff or don't cry over spilt milk or it's not a big deal. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, those are really helpful, aren't they? No, not at all. They just leave us fighting within ourselves and we worry more. They're not solutions. But can looking at birds really help? Yes. Jesus is giving a real solution. He's not distracting us. Look, just don't pay attention to the problem. Look up, look up, look up, all right? He's not distracting us. He's inviting us to gaze upon his glory. He's inviting us to consider his power. He tells the disciples and us to look at the birds. Birds, they work hard to secure food and lodging for themselves, but they don't have it unless God gives it to them. They go about their lives, they go about their existence because God provides food for them. Listen, birds work, but birds don't worry. There's a big difference. We need to learn to look upon the creation that God sustains with his power. And all creation is calling forth praise of that power. Consider first Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the, talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God tells everything, stay. It obeys. In Psalm 19, King David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. When we need fresh perspective, we need to look at God's powerful effect over, and sustainability over creation. I enjoy, and I make it a point really, to go out periodically and gaze I look up and gaze and consider the clear night sky. I look at the constellations. I always seem to find Orion pretty quickly. And it helps my perspective, it helps my worry to think about how God holds all of it together. And listen, he's been holding all of it together. He holds it all together. So I look at the stars and I recognize that God has told all of them, stay right here. And they obey. And it helps me understand something so far off. As I'm I'm worried about situations, I need to look up, look out, and see the power of his glory to have it settle my soul, give me a fresh focus and perspective of his power to recognize he's still in control. I don't have to worry thinking that he's not in control somehow. Jesus tells them to look to consider, uh, uh, to look at the power of his glory, he also wants them to consider, but primarily consider his beauty. Uh, did I forget to put this in there? I apologize for that. You're just going to have to litter, listen to consider. All right, uh, missed a slide there. Uh, this is not, it's consider, consider the lilies. This is not a, a, a glancing consideration, but a serious, in-depth pondering and meditating. Jesus points them, uh, not specifically to lilies, though those are pretty cool. We went on a, a trail in Lacombe uh, this past week, and we saw some lilies, and they were blooming. And I thought of this because I knew it was going to be preaching about this, and it was cool to see those. But you know what Jesus primarily is primarily talking about? Uh, the wild flyer of flyers. <laughs> the wild flowers that are everywhere, that nobody cares about, that people usually trim Cut down, uh, get some fertilizer to kill. Jesus is talking about those types of things, and he says, you know, the the wild grass that grows, nobody plants that, it doesn't plant itself, nobody cares about it, They doesn't even care about, about itself, but God cares about those, and he delights in those wildflowers. Oh, did it again? Wild flowers. Don't make fun of the guy who had mouth surgery. Then, Jesus makes a connection to Solomon. And I love this connection. Solomon, King David's son, who was the most glorious of all the kings of Israel. Israel, He had all the wealth. He had all the food, all the drinks, all the clothing, all the prestige. He had the intelligence of the entire world. Everybody was envious of King Solomon. And there are two things that should stick out about Jesus' connection between wildflowers and King Solomon. First is, God sees no difference between Solomon's clothing and the wildflowers. And two, God's power to clothe Solomon and the earth with wildflowers, it's the same power. He clothes what we think is the greatest ever, and He clothes clothes those things that we think are insignificant that nobody pays attention to, except God Himself. When we look and consider, does this have a lifting effect on our souls? Jesus is saying it should have a lifting effect on our souls. Does it? If it doesn't, then there's, there's some thought process that's out of whack that we need to go into that I think Jesus points to because Jesus in this passage, makes a huge point of our identity as disciples, as reason for God's provision. See, our identity is God's reason for provision. The first thing that he describes is sonship. One, Jesus connects God's heart to provide for us with his relationship with us as father. He says, your father That's intentional wording that we need to pay attention to. He is our Father, whose good pleasure it is to give us the kingdom, to give us all we need. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Worry causes us to question our sonship. We doubt our identity in Christ. We doubt if God's really is he really? Can, he's he's now now is when he's going to start repaying me for my sins and distancing himself from me because of my sins. That's not the new covenant. That's not salvation. Where he attacks our identity as sons and daughters of God, but we need a rock solid understanding of our adoption through Jesus Christ. That's what we need. We need doctrine and and, and thick. Doctrine uh, uh, that we have studied and and has sunk deep into our souls. That's what we go after. That's the word we hide in our hearts. That we won't sin with the worry, but we can fight effectively. When we worry, we don't act like God's children. We actually act like unbelievers. And that's the reference that Jesus made to Gentiles. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. He's saying unbelievers, people who are not children of God think that way. Our thoughts need to be, I'm God's child. He will take care of me. No matter what our experience has been on this earth with natural parents or natural caregivers, God will care for us because we are his. And he has secured us to himself through the powerful work of his son. Our sonship is secure. And it should lift our eyes to our Father in in a fruitful trust, in a trust that looks, it shows up in details of our lives. But then Jesus also uh, points to a value. Twice, Jesus, uh, he asked comparison questions. He didn't compare people with people like we always do. He told them, compare themselves with how God po- powerfully cares for those that nobody cares about or, or for the things that nobody cares about. The birds and the, the lilies. Think about those things. Compare yourself to them. Are you not of more value? Yes, he's answering the question. Yes, you're of more value. Think that way. Don't, think, don't devalue yourself. No, you are valuable to the Lord. You have been bought with the precious, imperishable blood of the Savior. You're valuable to the King. And we should think that way. We are his image-bearers. We are adopted. We are His now, now His glory-bearers. See, what He clothes us with in our value is the radiance of His glory which is so much more important than any tattered or mismatched clothes that we've got on. You know, part of uh, my wife and uh, I, we have the memory of our kids as they were learning to dress themselves. They usually would choose what was comfortable before they would choose what matched. And we kids do that. But you know what? We do that too. We have this weird comfort level. We want to be comfortable. So we don't want to wear the uncomfortable clothing. The radiance of God's gl- glory should feel so comfortable to us that we don't ever want to take it off. Because to take it off is to worry. And to, to wear something that doesn't fit right, it's uncomfortable. But we put, we got we to dress up maybe because we want the appearance uh, or the significance or the acceptance from somebody else. No, the radiance of his glory that we are clothed with needs to be our most comfortable adornment. The, the all-powerful, omnipotent God, he feeds us in our sonship and clothes us in his righteousness. Jesus wanted the disciples. He wants us to see, to understand and see that our standing in Christ through salvation is much more important than any of the details that we will obsess about. We trust him with our salvation. Friends, we can trust him to meet our needs. We can trust him to give us life, the experience of life, the care for everything that we have he's taken care of the biggest need we have in salvation and now his promise is that he will provide to sustain our lives and our bodies it might not look like we imagine but his promise to meet the needs of our lives and our bodies flows from his goodness toward us and we have i, I don't tire in reminding us of these promises because they they have taken effect in my own soul and they've lifted my soul when it's been very low knowing that God will work good for every one of his people. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away, I will not turn away from doing good to them. Then a familiar another familiar 8 uh, Romans 8:28 we know that for those who love God who have sonship childhood all things work together for good. Now not our definition of good God's definition of good, and God will bring us about to embrace his definition of good because we recognize, ah, I see your glory better, and when I see your glory brighter, that is my good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God's good will come to us perhaps through various and unanticipated avenues, but his good will be accomplished in our lives. That is his promise. Our lives and bodies are secure through our sonship. They are secure through our value that God places upon us. And then Jesus finishes by saying, let's focus on a heavenly mission. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We proceed in life we proceed in body, out of the security we have in Christ, but out of that security becomes, it comes a pursuit. It, it translates into a passionate pursuit of God. And Jesus said, you want to pursue something, pursue God's kingdom. Pursue his righteousness. We are to seek the kingdom. Instead of obsessing and being preoccupied about false securities, seek the security of God's kingdom. Look for it. Anticipate it. Long for it. The kingdom of God is to be our preoccupation, so to speak. We are to work, but we're not focused on our own effort as the guarantee and the outcome of our work to bring us the comfort and the necessities. No, we're not looking for our work to be the guarantee. We're looking for God who has guaranteed. We work, and we strive, and we trust, and we watch how he provides. But when Jesus was on the earth, his glory spread through his servanthood, and that's how, our, uh, that's how his glory should spread through our lives as well. Jesus showed the kingdom of heaven through his self-sacrifice. We now show the kingdom through our own self-denial and our following of Christ, our own self-denial and our servanthood to King Jesus. When we're anxious, figure out a way to serve. Figure out a way to serve. We also show the kingdom through our obedience to God. When worry feels debilitating, we look up, we look out to God's glory and beauty. We consider His glory and His beauty. And what do we do? We do the next thing. This is uh, Elizabeth Elliot in her very helpful resource, Secure in, in the Everlasting Arms. Uh, I, I love the fact that she, she points to, and she, ha, she referenced the time when she had lost her husband to as a missionary in Ecuador. Uh, he was killed on the mission field. She's asking, what do I do next? That's a big question. So, what God revealed to her was do the next thing. But what is the next thing? It's those little small things that we don't think are significant. That's what we do. We fold that basket of clothes, we clean the bathroom, we do the things that we think no one pays attention to. We care for our houses or we care for somebody else's house not even looking for a response we serve we do the next thing and listen this is what happens when we do the little things our vision will become greater for the bigger things that God's calling us to because he'll remind us you're obedient you're my child i value you here's the next thing to do but we have to trust him we have to go to him We also, we seek his kingdom and we seek his righteousness. We we should be preoccupied with the the doctrine of justification, that we are saved by grace through faith alone, not of our works. We should be preoccupied with that. It should be something that constantly is on our minds. We should be preoccupied with evangelism, showing the hope of the gospel to people who are hurt and lost and, and really anxious with no solution. We should be preoccupied with standing up for the vulnerable. Our righteousness, the righteousness of God shows up when we stand up for his righteousness, when unrighteousness and evil are occurring. When we obey in the clothing of his righteousness, catch this, our needs are met. When we're serving, we're clothed with his righteousness, he'll meet our needs. He'll meet them because he loves us. Now what this concludes for us is that grace for today is the proof of future grace. How do we know God's going to be faithful to us tomorrow? Because he's been faithful today, hasn't he? He has. Uh, Lamentations, uh, prophet Jeremiah says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. And he has proven his faithfulness. He will prove his faithfulness in the big things, but he's promising to prove his faithfulness as we go after his purpose and calling in our lives to be servants uh, for his kingdom, ambassadors of hope, uh, we, and, and clothed in the radiance of his glory, standing up for that righteousness when necessary. He's telling us, you be about that big thing. And I'll meet every single one of your little needs. I'll meet everyone. The grace that we have today gives us confidence and faith, trust, That his grace will show up for us in our future. He's been faithful. He'll continue to be faithful. He's been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. Now, we, verse 34 tells us we're not relieved of trouble because tomorrow there's going to be anxiety that we're going to meet. But tomorrow, repeat (laughs) look up, look out, see his glory, see his beauty and experience His grace for today. And and remember, God God doesn't give us grace for all the things that we're thinking about for our future. He gives us grace for today. So don't don't borrow the anxieties, Jesus is saying. Don't borrow the anxieties of tomorrow and lump them on to today. No, experience grace today. Settle your mind and your heart, and you'll have confidence to get through today, and then live for Christ tomorrow as well. Let's pray. Father, I ask uh, that you would complete, complete the work of joining our hearts to your word in this moment. Complete that work so we can we cannot get boggled down by our worries and anxieties. But Lord, give us grace to look up at your, the power of your glory. To look out at the, the splendor of your beauty. And lift our souls. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.